Christmas lights. How many of you have Christmas lights on the outside of your house somewhere? Hands up nice and high. All right. Keep them, keep them up if you are, if you are like a classy white light only type of a house. Yeah? Most of you. Who, who likes it colored, gaudy? We're talking like Clark Griswold blowing it out. Obnoxious. Yeah. A lot, a lot of us, we, we, we don't want that on our house, but we want to go drive by and see. Like, so we're thankful for you is that we can drive by and look at your house, right? Because um, it's exciting. If anybody knows any good houses or neighborhoods, by the way, my family, after Christmas Eve service on our way home, we try to drive by a couple of neighborhoods. So if you know of any good spots to hit, please uh, let, let me know. Um, we love looking at those Christmas lights. Anybody know what this is a picture of? Call it out if you know it. That's right. Miracle on 34th Street in Baltimore. Um, known literally across the nation. You can Google it. One of the top spots nationwide for Christmas lights. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street there in Baltimore. I think the miracle is that an entire block in Baltimore could agree and get together and coordinate the event. But um, worth going to check out if you if you haven't been. I think at a certain is it like seven o'clock every night they sing Silent Night uh, during the Christmas season. So worth a, worth a field trip with your family. Um, why are Christmas lights such a big deal? Why do people, even secular people, decorate their home? I think it's because there's so much darkness in the world and people are aware of just the darkness around them and the, the time of Christmas season just feels like a time where, where people want to try to bring some light. And even for people that don't understand the true meaning of Christmas, it's an opportunity for them to say, you know what, we want to be intentional to try to bring some hope and some joy into the world. But, but they're just kind of trying to manufacture it, right, with goodwill and with, and with, with lights. Um, but the true light of the world, we know, is Christ. Christmas lights, I think, are worth setting out to remind us of the true meaning of Christmas. That the child born for us is the light in the darkness. That the light in the darkness has come. That's our theme for this morning. As we continue in the book of Isaiah, we looked last week at Isaiah chapter 7. We talked about the fear and the faithlessness of King Ahaz in the face of, of foreign nations that were attacking Judah. And God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and called the king to firm faith in the living God. And he gave the king the sign of Emmanuel, a child that would be born. That child, of course, ultimately fulfilled in the Messiah, God with us. The rest of Isaiah chapter 7 into 8 goes on to describe a hard time, really a time of, of desolation that's going to take place when this uh, foreign invading army, the Assyrians, come into the land of Judah. But Isaiah affirms that, that the land will not be completely overtaken because Emmanuel, God, will be with them. And this is all leading and building to chapter 9, the center of our Advent series culminating in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Our theme verse for this Advent, we're going to get there. We're going to get to Isaiah 9, 6 on Christmas Eve, but we got a little work to do. We've got some ground to cover before we get there, before we celebrate the Emmanuel child, the, the son that was born to the Virgin Mary. And so we're going to pick up actually in, in Isaiah Chapter 8, we're going to read the last two verses of chapter 8 and the first two verses of chapter 9. Flip over, if you would, page 573 in those blue hardback Bibles. And, and Isaiah is going to give us a picture of those who don't wait on God, who won't look to Him for the hope of salvation. Instead, these people live in darkness. But then in chapter 9, we're going to hear this beautiful promise 
that the child who is born will be God's great light. God's great light that's going to shine into the thick darkness and overcome the darkness. That's the hope of Isaiah that he gives his people and prophetically looking forward to the Messiah. It is the hope that we have today. Amen. So read with me and and hear what is a a dark picture in the last two verses of Isaiah chapter 8, beginning there in verse 21. But they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Thick darkness is kind of sets the theme for this opening uh, section there that we're looking at at the end of, of chapter 8. You can put up that next slide if you would. See, the, they're facing the invasion of the Assyrian army. And Isaiah says that there will be some, there will be some in Judah that are faithful who hold on to the Lord and wait in faith. But verse 21 gives us a picture of those who don't look to the Lord. Who... Don't look to God for hope and for help. And Isaiah describes their life as, as wandering, wandering around, no direction, distress, a, a, a life of suffering and hardship and hunger. The hunger, ultimately, when you experience a famine, I mean, that's like the ultimate form of, of desperation and, and, and suffering, right? With nothing to eat, watching your children facing starvation. But but hunger, even physical hunger in the Bible is 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 symbolic of spiritual hunger, right? Of just the, the emptiness and the, and the need and the lack in these people's lives. And so they're, they're facing a food shortage, we read in verse 21. It says, when they are hungry, they will be enraged, right? They, they let's be honest, they get hangry, okay? There's no Snickers around at that time. And so what do they do when they're hangry? Well, it says that they turn their rage towards their king and towards their God, right? And so they turn towards, towards the king of, of the nation, and they get angry, but they ultimately, they, they lift up their head towards God and they're, they're yelling at God. How could you do this? Why have you let this happen to the land? Why aren't you with us? Why didn't you stop this? Why is my life in shambles? And many, many people have turned their face up towards the Lord. Even those who, who say, I, I don't believe in God, but yet I hate him. I don't believe in God, but yet I'm going to yell at him for why am I facing what I'm facing? And that's what the people have done in Isaiah's day. And then in verse 22, they don't look up. What, where do they look? They look to the earth. They look back down, they look around them to the government and the systems and the people and the finances around them, looking for answers, looking for help. But what happens when they look to the earth in verse 22? But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. See, apart from faith in God, looking around to the world is only going to bring more distress and more darkness and more gloom. And the chapter ends with this sad proclamation that they will be thrust into thick darkness. That idea of thick darkness is, is, is like no, not just some dim night. I mean, we're talking like black, overwhelming. Now, Isaiah was facing in his day this, this danger from, from this military attack. And the people that were not walking obediently in covenant with God were overwhelmed. And rather than seek God for salvation, they blamed God. They looked up and they blamed God. And then they looked down to the world around them looking for help. But instead, what did they find? They found only darkness, thick darkness. And so often we see that in our own day, don't we? Don't we see that same darkness in our own day? And we see those same two reactions. We see people looking up, blaming and anger towards a career that they don't even know. And then people look around in distress and in desperation seeking answers. Because life 
without God is a life of darkness. It's like living in, in thick darkness, total blackout, no light at all. Have you ever been in total darkness? Anybody's power go out last night? My power went out for a few minutes last night, but it wasn't dark, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's street lights and there's moon and we've got, you know, phones that, that have battery backup. But if you've ever been in like complete darkness, I've told you guys before about being in the wind cave over by the Susquehanna River and, and turning the lights off back deep in the earth and, and literally you cannot see your face in front of your hand. And that's what Isaiah is describing here. And in the, in the complete blackout, thick darkness, you can't see, you can't see anything. You can't see to move around. You can't see danger that's coming at you in the darkness. You can't see where to look or where to find help. And so, yeah, pitch black is scary. The darkness describes a, a state that is, is cold and hopeless. Humans, ultimately, we can't survive in the dark. We cannot live apart from the light of the sun and, and the light of the world around us. And ultimately, as I said, this describes our spiritual condition, the spiritual condition of all humans who live outside of God's light, outside of God's grace. And outside of God in the dark, while we cannot flourish, evil flourishes. And so in the dark, apart from God, there's, there's much pain and there's isolation. And there's lack of direction and confusion and wandering and fear builds and multiplies in the dark and, and, and self-harm and death and infatuation with evil and with the enemy and with the things of death. See, in the dark, there is no hope. There's no hope outside of God. But the other interesting thing about life in the dark is that, that there's, no, there's no hope, but there's also no accountability. Right? In the dark, things are hidden, and so you could do whatever you want. You can't see your own hand in front of your face. Nobody else can see what you're doing either, right? And so that's why outside of God, there is so much selfishness and pride and self-indulgence because people have the illusion of cover. Well, nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to know. I'm not accountable. And people think that their actions will go unnoticed, that they're not going to be held accountable. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked in, in First Thessalonians about children of the day versus children of the night. And I shared with you all those stupid things that I did as a teenager at night after dark, right? Where I didn't think I was going to be caught. Brothers and sisters, even in the thick darkness, friends that are here today that are, that are visiting, that are that are wondering what the Lord Jesus is all about. Even in the darkness, God sees. Our eyes are not, not able to see in the dark, but God, God sees. And nothing is hidden. The Bible says that one day will not be revealed. Now here's the other thing about life in the darkness. While I don't believe you can ever experience true life and really thrive, I do think you can sort of get used to it. Whether you're talking about physical darkness or spiritual darkness, you can learn to survive for a period. You can adjust, right? Like your eyes adjusting to the dark and being able to get it a little more in focus. Give it enough time, give it enough human ingenuity. A person can, can get acclimated to life in the dark, as many people who don't follow the Lord Jesus do. They get acclimated and they, they live lives. In fact, you can even get to a point outside of God where you begin to embrace the darkness, where you become nocturnal in a sense, right? You, you start to love life in the dark. And you say, yeah, I'm living on my own. I'm hidden away from God, hidden away from others. But the problem with getting used to the dark is that when the light of God finally shines, then it hurts. See, light is uncomfortable when you are used to the dark. That's why people who have adjusted to life in the dark and, and seem content to live outside of God, cut off from His grace and His love, when they are confronted by the light of God, 
what happens? Their instinct is to run and to hide. And some of you even now are thinking of an excuse to get out of here. (laughs) Because maybe you feel the light of God shining. See, light is a wonderful thing. But when you're used to the dark, man, it hurts. It hurts your eyes when you open that blind first thing in the morning and the sun shines in. Friends, if, if you are here this morning and any of this describes you, If you resonate with any of this, whether it's the permanent state of your heart or whether it's just slipping back into a period of darkness this week, if you feel like you're living in a cloud of thick darkness, what I want to say to you is don't accept it. Don't accept the darkness. Don't think that life apart from God is your only possible reality. When you catch a glimpse of the light, whether it's here this morning, whether it's a friend or family member that encourages you, whether it's hearing the Word of God, when you catch a glimpse of the light, don't run, don't hide from the Holy Spirit, don't crawl back into the corner, don't believe the lie that you don't deserve a life in the light of day. Because you were created by God to live in the light. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. Don't embrace the darkness. Some, some here are, are on the verge of getting used to it. And that long period has turned into months and maybe years. Or maybe some of you are here this morning and you've never walked with God. Don't get used to the darkness. Don't enjoy it. Enjoying sin and selfishness. Beginning to take comfort and pleasure in a godless life. Because while there might be temporary pleasure, it ultimately only leads to death. But others need to hear this word. You're not, you don't, not choosing the darkness on purpose because you think it's fun. You're just overwhelmed. Some here feel overcome by darkness. You feel enslaved to a life of pain and confusion and fear and desperation. And you've tried to find the light. You've tried to look to the Lord. Know that you can be free. Know that God's light can shine into your darkness and you are not enslaved. Because God's light shines in the darkness. And that's ultimately what Christmas is all about. That the light has come. That the light has come shines into the darkness. Look at this famous passage from John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And and this famous verse in John 3.16. This is the Christian standard Bible version. says this. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And then a few verses later in verse 19, it says this. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. So that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Guys, the light has come. Don't stay in the darkness. Come to the light. Yes, it may hurt at first. Yes, it's scary to have your your heart and your deeds exposed. But don't be one who loves the darkness. Be one who loves the light. And so many of us battle that day to day, week to week. With parenting, with, with our spiritual condition. With circumstances into the world, spoke with a couple this week, and their son just had been literally swallowed up by darkness in a deep, deep moment of crisis. And yet this couple is standing in faith, holding on to the light of Christ, praying in faith that they would not be drugged down into desperate darkness, that their son would would find freedom. This is real stuff, friends. The light has come into the world, and John 3.16 and following gives us this promise 
that we can live by the light of truth, that we can come into the light and be known. And so don't be swallowed, don't give in, don't get comfortable, don't embrace, or don't think that that life in the darkness is all that you can have. Be full of hope this morning. Listen to the words of hope that Isaiah brings us in chapter 9. Look at chapter 9, verse 1, as he continues this theme and now turns the corner to the promise of God. The Word of God says there in Isaiah 9, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought contempt into the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I want to take a minute and just give you some background on this beautiful passage and this powerful promise. Verse 1 promises a time, Isaiah is looking ahead to a time when there will no longer be gloom, no longer be anguish for God's people. See, Isaiah says in the past, when Israel was in rebellion, God disapproved. And he specifically mentions two tribes, the tribes of Zebulon and the tribe of Naphtali. These two tribes that settled in the northern region of the promised land, in the land of Galilee, beyond the Jordan River. And what we find out from history is that when the Assyrian army finally overtook the land of Israel, they came from the north, and Zebulun and Naphtali were the first, the first of God's people to face the judgment of that army, the first to be conquered, the first to be annexed, the first to no longer be part of God's covenant community. But the prophecy goes on to say in a later time, God will make this area by the sea a place of great glory. And Isaiah was prophetically looking ahead to the time of the Messiah. And he speaks about it with such certainty. Did you notice that? He uses past tense. He says, in the later time, he has made glorious by the way of the sea. Isaiah is looking ahead and speaking about it as though it's already happened. That the land that was engulfed in darkness will be made glorious. And verse 2 says that the people who once walked in thick darkness, they have now seen a great light. Those who once lived in deep darkness, on them the light of God shines. Now this prophecy is, is directly fulfilled in the ministry of the Messiah, of Jesus, the Savior that was born. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew actually says the very location of Jesus' ministry is directly connected to this prophecy in Isaiah. Look at this scripture in Matthew chapter 4. Read along with me. Matthew is writing this. He says, when, when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he quotes, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Isn't that powerful? 700 years earlier, the Spirit of God stirred in Isaiah to prophesy, That the northern region of Galilee that had lived under Gentile rule the longest. They were the first to be conquered. They had lived as Galilee of the nations the longest. But in God's glorious grace, he said, that's where I'm going to send the Messiah first. They will be the first ones to see the coming light of the Savior. Isn't that beautiful that God brings his light into the darkest place first? 
and all the geography and the towns and the foreign names of the Old Testament. God, God's doing all that on purpose. And he said, that's where I'm going to send Jesus to Galilee of the nations, the land by the sea where Zebulun and Naphtali first faced violence and death, faced the darkness of gloom. And Jesus goes there to proclaim the light of God. And to bring the light of God. See, in the midst of thick darkness, God comes as a great light because God is light, friends. In Him is no darkness at all. And in the battle of light versus darkness, light is always going to win. If we blocked out those windows, if we turned off all the lights, if you put all your cell phones off and we lit one of those candles and put it in the middle of the room, the whole light, the whole room would light up. Light is always going to win in a battle against darkness. Light always pushes out the darkness. And that's certainly true of the light of God when it comes to the darkness of sin and death and the broken fallenness and suffering of this world. We heard this promise this morning when we lit our third Advent candle. We heard the promise of of John 1. Listen to that verse again. In Him was life. In Christ was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When the light of Christ comes and shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome the presence of Christ, the work in Christ in your life and in the world when we go. When we go into the world, we carry the light of Christ. See, look, darkness inevitably is going to lead to death. Life cannot be sustained apart from light. And so when Jesus shows up and he comes as the light of all mankind, he brings eternal life. He brings eternal life. And and again, that is Christmas. To us, a son is born, a son who is the light of the world. And the light of Christ is eventually going to overpower all the darkness of this world. That is why Jesus came. He didn't come to be a cute baby in the manger. He didn't come to be an example of love. He didn't come so that we could have a reason for an annual celebration. He came to live and to die and to rise again and return to save his people, to restore creation itself. Jesus lived. He lived a life completely perfect, complete light. A life of of obedience, of love, a life seeking His Father's glory. And then He climbed up on that cross, willingly allowed Himself to be arrested and convicted and, and, and given over to Roman execution, dying as our substitute, friends. He received the judgment that you and I deserve because of our dark hearts, because we have looked to the world, because we have turned up toward God in anger and lived a life of rebellion and rejection. He died on our behalf. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death and the devil. He brings his victory. He brings the light of life to all who believe. No longer in the death of darkness, but now in the light of life through his resurrection. And he is coming again. He is coming again one day. A day when when his light will so shine, shine so brightly that all darkness, all darkness in every vestige of your heart and every corner of this earth will fully and finally be pushed out, be put down, be defeated. Listen, the question this morning is not, will the light overcome the darkness? That much is certain, I assure you. The question is, will you come to the light? Will you come into the light now? While you still can do so willingly, will you step out of the darkness and follow the light? Jesus said this again in John chapter 8. Look at this scripture. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
John 8, 12. And so the question is, will you follow him? Will you walk in the light of life? He came, he was born. He is now here this morning, speaking to you through his word, speaking to you through the Holy Spirit, saying, I am the light of life. Will you follow me? And I want to boil that down to four things this morning. If you're here and you've never followed Christ, if you're here and your life has been out of whack and you've been caught up in other things, I want to, I want to center you on four things that I believe it means for us this Christmas season to follow the Lord Jesus. One is to believe. believe. Simply believe that Jesus is who he claimed, the light of the world. Believe that the light is better than the darkness. Believe that a life of, of despair and confusion, a life filled with fear and hopelessness and, 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 and hurt, a life enslaved to the cycle of sin is not what you were created for. Believe that Jesus is the light and believe that the light is better than the darkness. And so trust, trust that he died for you, trust that he was raised for you and trust that there is forgiveness and new life in him, your savior and your king. But then secondly, after you believe is follow. Right? Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. He's calling us to follow him. That means we imitate him. That means we listen to him. We submit to him as Lord. That means we follow his commands and obey his instructions. We walk with him in the light of God's grace and God's love. We follow Jesus in everything that we think and feel and say and do. We say, God, fill me by your spirit. Help me to follow you. And we don't have the desire, the ability to obey the Lord on our own. But when we when we come to him and he fills us with new life, he empowers us with his spirit. And if we will submit and cry out to him, he will empower you to follow him. We believe in the Lord Jesus. We follow the light of life. And and thirdly, we we fellowship. And I know this may seem odd, but bear with me. Look look at 1 John 1, 7. This next verse, look at 1 John 1, 7. It says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning God, if we walk in the light with God, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Do you, do you see that beautiful connection? What happens there? Now, look, we, we love we're Americans. We love talking about our, our personal freedom and our individual you know decisions. And, and yes, we have a personal salvation in Christ. And when you come to Christ and you put faith in him, you are reconciled to God. You become his son. You become his daughter. You become whole. You have the personal hope of eternal life. But the Bible says that if you step into the light, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another because as we all come into the light together, now we are connected. Now don't read fellowship and hear that as some kind of superficial connection. The Greek word koinonia is a deep partnership. It's, it's a participation. It's a community with one another. As we step into the light, we step into the light together and we now have fellowship. And we submit to God and we submit to one another. And we believe in God and through that we believe in one another. And we look to God to work in our lives. And now we look to one another to work in our lives. Friends, to follow Jesus in the light of light means to walk in fellowship with others. Now look, you and I are going to stumble. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We're going to see something in the dark corner and we're going to, we're going to run after it. Or the enemy's going to stir up a thought of fear and we're going to try to look to, to, to the darkness for comfort. When we stumble into the darkness... Do not pretend you're okay. Don't think you can stay hidden 
and we won't know or the Lord won't know. It's not okay to slip back into the darkness. The Bible calls us, and, and that verse in, in 1 John 1, 7 goes on to talk about confession. We confess our sins to God and we confess our sins to one another. So that the Spirit of God can bring us back into the light, back into fellowship with Him and back into fellowship with one another. Do you know that nine times out of ten, when my wife and I are in discord and, and, and disagreement and there's distance, whether it's overt uh, uh, frustration or whether it's just a lack of connection, nine times out of ten, one or both of us are, are distant from the Lord. I, I'm, I'm just telling you 21 years of history that that's, that's what I found. Because when you walk out of the light of God and, and, and disconnect from Him, you disconnect from the people around you who, who are supposed to be in the light with you. And so the call is to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to walk in fellowship with His people. But the, the fourth thing I want us to hear this morning, the first part of what I believe, what it is to, to walk in the light of Christ, is to shine God's light. To shine God's light to others. Because see, God's light shines into us, not only so that we can know life, so that we can be free from the plague of darkness, but so that God's light can shine into us and then out of us to the people around. Jesus called us the light of the world. He said, well, you say, wait a minute, I thought he said he was the light of the world. Yes, he's the light of the world, and he's now in you and I, which makes us the light of the world. And he calls us, commands us, shine your light before others. Bring light into the darkness. Wherever we go, we find people who are wandering, and so we bring the light of truth. You can look right in your own home, or you can look in the community around you. You find people that are desperate. And so God says, shine the light of hope into those desperate situations. People that are grieving, that have lost loved ones. Christmas is unbearably difficult for many people who have lost loved ones this year. And we are called to be a light of peace to those who are grieving. You find someone that's hurting in your neighborhood, in your family, in the bedroom next to yours. You find someone that's hurting. Shine the light of love into their life. Bring the hope of Christ. You see someone that is oppressed and beat down and worn down. Bring the light of help. and Be a friend. Be a neighbor. Be a brother or a sister to bring the light of help into their lives. Friends, can we believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Can we follow that, that light into the light of life? Can we fellowship with one another in the midst of the light? And can we shine that light out to others? Amen. I got a phone call this week from a guy, a guy that I've known for years here at the Y. He knows I'm a believer. He knows I'm a pastor, obviously. And, and, and we've never had overtly spiritual relationships. I've asked him one or two questions over the years. But he called me this week and immediately I could tell that there's something in the tone of his voice that wasn't right. And he was troubled. He found out this week that his father has cancer. He's very, very close with his father. And, and this guy who I've never been to church with or prayed with, he said, can you pray for me? He's afraid. He's, he's feeling the darkness that we've been talking about creeping into his life. And, and, and he's unsettled and he's afraid. And before I prayed for him, I told him, I said, man, it's hard enough going through something like this, having a, a dear loved one face cancer, hard enough going through a time like this any time of the year. But Going through that at Christmas, I said, I am so sorry. I said, but, I said, maybe part of what the Lord is doing is reminding you of what Christmas truly is. And I just shared with him, just real briefly, I said, Christmas ultimately is about the fact that, that we needed a Savior. The fact that this world is hurting and dark and there is sickness and, and, and cancer and brokenness. 
I said, so maybe this Christmas, as hard as it's going to be to walk through your father through through surgery and through cancer, I said, maybe it's an opportunity for, for your faith to be stirred, to be reminded that we need a Savior, that Jesus was born to bring God's light into our world. And there, in that moment, God's light was able to shine through me in a, in a small way to this person in the community. Can God use us in that way as we believe, as we follow, as we fellowship? And then, God, would you shine through us? Amen? As the worship team comes, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we pray together. Hear the words again of Isaiah that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Father in heaven, we thank you that your light has come. We thank you that though we have walked in in deep darkness, and for some of us, that's not a distant reality. For some of us, the darkness was all too real this week. And so, God, we hold on to that reality that a great light has come that will drive out any and all darkness. And we pray, first and foremost, that you would drive out the darkness of our own heart. Lord, awaken the hearts of any here this morning that that walked in here not knowing you, that walked in here still living in darkness. May they have faith. May they have the light of Christ in their life. And for those of us that are struggling, that are battling fear or depression or addiction or discouragement or or desperation or confusion, shine your light. Holy Spirit, come now as we worship, as we celebrate the light of Christ. Come now, Holy Spirit, and shine into our hearts that we could be people of, of hope and joy and peace, that we could truly have something to celebrate this Christmas. Light of the world, come shine now in us and through us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.